0: It's the Media buzz meter with Howard Kurtz. The best line of the day, hands down, comes from some rando on Twitter. Maybe he's a very smart rando. He's good at words, I'll tell you. And he says there's a new name. We should give a new nickname to Novak Djokovic, uh, who, of course, is involved in this increasingly tangled, messy international showdown over not getting vaccinated and so forth. And I will get to the More outrageous details a little later in the podcast. He says, instead of Novak, just call him Novaks. I just think that's New York Post headline worthy. Novaks. Same syllables, same sound, a little bit of a different message. Uh, So maybe that'll catch on. You know, usually I devote this podcast to, you know, we talk about the day's five buzziest stories, then we bring on the buzzer, And, you know, I determine this in many ways. You know, what's going viral, what's getting traction, or what people are talking about on television, what I personally think is fascinating, which I hope you will find interesting as well. And today I'm going to do something different. I'm going to leave with a non-story that has become one of the buzziest stories of the day. It's a complete and total pile of crap. It's non-existent. And yet, people are talking about it. What's up with that? All right, number one, Hillary Clinton. So it's not, sometimes you have to kind of go back in the Wayback Machine and find out which fringe site first said X that was then picked up by this person on Twitter and then spread to Instagram or whatever. Here, you don't need need to have a Sherlock Holmes. It's an op-ed piece in the Wall Street Journal. It's written by Doug Schoen, who a zillion years ago, work for the Clintons, who's a, a Democrat, but a very conservative Democrat, has also been very cl- uh, critical of the Clintons. And Andrew Stein, who was once uh, the president of the New York City Council, also a longtime Democrat. And here's what they say. A perfect storm in the Democratic Party is making a once unfathomable scenario plausible. A political comeback for Hillary Clinton in 2024. Well, there's a reason it was once unfathomable, and that is because it is unfathomable. Okay, they go on. If Democrats lose control of Congress in 2022, Mrs. Clinton can use the party's loss as a basis to run for president again, enabling her to claim the title of change candidate. Now, Hillary Clinton maybe meant many things. I mean, I don't reflexively bash Hillary Clinton, I've interviewed Hillary Clinton a number of times. Uh, I never thought she was a particularly good candidate. I thought she was a pretty good senator. I mean, as you'll recall, she's run for the presidency twice before. In 2008, when everybody assumed that she would be a shoo in, at least for the Democratic nomination, she got slammed by Barack Obama. 2016, I mean, she practically cleared the field, except for a guy who was then viewed as, you know, an eccentric elderly, not even Democrat because he was an independent senator, Bernie Sanders, and she had a run for her money. And then, of course, she managed to lose to Donald Trump. So the idea that the Democratic Party would turn to her again with its nomination or the idea that she would actually want to do this again is very, very hard for me to grasp. But the journal op-ed says, based on her latest public statements, it's clear that Mrs. Clinton not only recognizes her position as a potential front-runner, but also is setting up a process to help her decide whether or not to run for president again. She recently warned of electoral consequences in the 2022 midterms. Okay, so actually, there's nothing in this piece that says that she's considering it, weighing a process, consulting other people, privately musing, you know, it's just the opinion of these two Democrats writing this particular column for the journal. And so, boom, because so many people, particularly on the right, love to beat up on Hillary, lead story in Drudge, Hillary in 2024, question mark, you know, with a question mark, you can say anything in journalism. It's the dirty little secret. Uh, And it's bouncing around the Internet. Uh, Here's a piece in National Review saying when the Wall Street Journal op-ed says she could claim the title of change candidate, That's the point in which I said, what? Hillary Clinton has been a national figure since 1992. True fact. One of the big reasons she lost in 2016 was that voters didn't want to go backwards. It it is plausible that the Republicans nominating Donald Trump in 2024 would neutralize that liability, but it certainly wouldn't change it. Uh, And if Clinton is the best option, says National Review, the Democratic Party is in more trouble than we thought. But I just want to have a little fun with this because, come on, you know, it's a good parlor game. It's like when you play fantasy football and everybody picks teams. Okay, what if we got Hillary out of retirement? Now, would she like to be president? Anybody who runs for president twice probably has that burning desire. But do you think the former first lady and former secretary of state would want to put herself through this again? And the idea, I mean, if she actually, let's say I'm wrong. She says, you know what, it's a weak field. Let's say Biden doesn't run again. I don't think she would get the nomination. I think Democrats have been there, done that. I don't think I could name 10 people who I think would get the nomination ahead of Hillary Clinton. But anyway, I guess I've had my fun. Uh, Here's an interesting story about the other potential uh, 2024 nominee on the GOP side. His name is Donald J. Trump. Uh... He had an interview with NPR in which he ended up hanging up on morning edition host Steve Inskeep. It's supposed to last 15 minutes. It went about nine. So they talked about the pandemic and different things. And oh, by the way, there's an interesting thing. Trump took a shot, and almost everybody, and I agree, thinks this was aimed at Rod DeSantis, who of course is a Trump ally, but who Trump may be getting a little irritated with because the Florida governor is very clearly positioning himself to run for president assuming that Trump doesn't or can't or won't or whatever. And I think that that's a reasonable thing for a politician to do. Um, He talked about uh, politicians who are asked, have you gotten the booster shot? And the answer is yes, says Trump, but they don't want to say so. That's exactly what happened with DeSantis in an interview with Maria Bartiromo. He kind of hemmed and hawed and didn't answer the question. Anyway, The reason that Trump was not wild about this interview, and it's the first interview I can think of in a very long time where Trump was on with a journalist who is not, you know, who is not one of his cheerleaders or sympathetic to him, uh, NPR morning edition. So um, Stevens keep asked Trump whether he's going to only keep endorsing Republican candidates who are pressing his case that the 2020 election was stolen from him. Is that an absolute? Trump said, Well, candidates that are smart are going to uh, take up my cause. And he cited somebody's running, woman's running for governor uh, in Arizona. She's very big on that issue. Her name is Carrie Lake. She's leading by a lot. People have no idea how big this issue is. They don't want it to happen again. Okay. So uh, Steve keep tried to interrupt, and Trump says, And then at that point, Trump said, So, Steve, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Hung up. And Inskeep was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! I have one more question." Obviously, Trump just decided he had had enough of this line of inquiry. Now, earlier in the interview, before the abrupt ending, uh, Inskeep had said, "Well, look," and this kind of probably got under Trump's skin. Why have election officials in Arizona accepted the findings of an uh, audit, an election audit ordered by Republicans? This is this cyber ninjas firm, which, by the way, is going out of business because its reputation was so badly damaged by the way this was handled, that uncovered no issues that would have changed the result of the 2020 race in the state of Arizona. Trump's answer? Because they're rhinos. And frankly, a lot of people are questioning that. Um, Why hasn't Mitch McConnell backed your uh, uh, claims of election fraud? Because Mitch McConnell is a loser. So Trump was in good form. He was... Throwing some punches. And I guess he just got one question too many and said, Steve, see you later. All right, let's move on to story number two. And uh, as I previewed yesterday on the podcast, President Biden and Vice President Harris going to Atlanta, uh, visiting uh, where Martin Luther King is buried, uh, going to the Ebenezer Baptist Church and giving the speech, which parts of which have been leaked earlier to the New York Times, about the voting rights legislation two different bills that democrats want to pass and i have no idea i don't i have no further insight today than i did yesterday as to why biden is doing this i mean i have a couple of theories which i'll take a stab at in a moment because i don't see how he gets there what he did and this is joe biden senate institutionalist 36 years as a united states senator from delaware who's always, always, always said he doesn't want to change the filibuster. Well, now he's saying we should have a filibuster carve out like it's a, you know, a turkey. Uh, And if it deals with voting rights or constitutional rights, then it's okay to do what used to be called going nuclear, which is to suspend the filibuster. Now, there was a lot of high-flown rhetoric in this speech. Uh, Biden said the traditions of the Senate had been abused, and that's why he was changing his view of modifying the filibuster. And then he said, sadly, the United States Senate, designed to be the world's greatest deliberative body, well, that's the only people who think that anymore are the 100 senators, has been rendered a shell of its former self. I ask every elected official in America, how do you want to be remembered? And this came the key soundbite. Do you want to be on the side of Dr. King or George Wallace? Do you want to be on the side of John Lewis or Bull Connor? Do you want to be on the side of Abraham Lincoln or Jefferson Davis? Now, by the way, when he invokes George Wallace, George Wallace was a Democrat, folks, uh, who was, of course, a governor of Alabama, ran for president twice, got shot in the second run, and somebody dug up some you know, nice things that Senator Biden had said about Governor Wallace. But uh, the write-up of this in the New York Times you know, reflects what everybody knows to be the political reality. In fact, it uses that word. The reality remains. Even with Biden's new call for a filibuster exception, changing Senate rules would require the support of the entire Democratic caucus and the vote of Kamala Harris. Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema have expressed strong public opposition to changing filibuster rules, and a handful of others have expressed concerns as well. See, even if they somehow, you know, would have boarded, Cinema uh, and Manchin into going along, I'm not sure other Democratic senators would go along. So so Manchin said yesterday, the Senate needs some good rule changes, but getting rid of the filibuster doesn't make it work better. And Republicans point out that, uh, hey, you know, you Democrats have used the filibuster when you win the minority about nine zillion times. Both parties are just hypocrites on this issue. Here's Mitt Romney saying, look, there's a reasonable chance Republicans will win both houses of Congress and that Donald Trump himself could once again be elected president in 2024. Have Democrats thought what it would mean for them, for the Democrat minority, to have no power whatsoever? Um, And once again, Biden was calling out the former guy by name. uh, Well, not by name, but calling him out. The goal of the former president and his allies is to disenfranchise anyone who votes against him, Biden said in his speech. So that leads me to the one thought that I have. Why would Joe Biden take on this um, cause knowing he's going to lose, knowing he's not going to be able to change the filibuster and without changing the filibuster, he's not going to get a vote on these two pieces of legislation. I think because he knows that the uh, $2 trillion spending bill is going nowhere. He needs a new issue. And it's an issue that can rally his base because a lot of people, and it was not an accident, as I've said, Stacey Abrams didn't show up. Oh, there was a new back and forth about, well, maybe she didn't show up because she didn't have a speaking role and her people denied that, but it's probably true. Uh, in any event, so Biden figures, I got to throw some red meat to my base. Win or lose, I got to show them I take this seriously. I'm going to do the whole thing with the MLK family and Ebenezer-Baptist, and I'm going to go down there with Kamala. and We are going to make this a big issue. In other words, this may be the first speech by the president of the 2022 midterms. And on that level, it would make sense. But at the same time, well here, here's Rich Lowry National Review, uh, giving the opposite view of why this doesn't seem to make sense on the surface. Uh, Joe Biden has decided there's a crisis in our democracy that can only be fixed if two bills pass in the next several days that aren't going to pass. Maybe for some perverse reasons, says Lowry, he likes appearing weak and ineffectual. He tried to make Georgia the poster trial for voter suppression based on last year's election reform. Biden's case was incredibly weak, says Lowry. Georgia has limited drop boxes. Well, yeah, that was a pandemic-driven innovation. It has long lines, sure, in some places, but that's a local issue. Uh, Georgia's making it harder to vote by mail. No, says Lowry. It's moving from a signature match on mail-in ballots, which Stacey Abrams, by the way, criticized, to the more reliable driver's license or state ID number. No, we can debate that or not. Anyway, uh, Lowry takes this shot. The supposed promise of President Joe Biden in 2020 was that he'd be the adult in the room. But if there was any doubt, today's speech removed it. He's the same hack he's always been. Now, obviously, that's a conservative point of view. A lot of Democrats still like Joe Biden. A lot of Democrats are frustrated by Joe Biden. And I don't know. Like, I would think, you know, find some piece of legislation, some carve out from the Build Back Better bill, which actually could get Joe and Kirsten to go along with the other Joe, and try to pass it. I mean, Biden did a lot, if you look at, he passed a big pandemic relief bill, he passed the trillion dollar infrastructure bipartisan bill, uh, and he did some other things. Unfortunately, the progress he made on COVID, which we'll get to in a second, you know, has been overwhelmed by Omicron. But by putting so much of his rhetorical weight behind the bill that would not pass because of Joe Manchin, it feels like 2021 was a disappointment. So now he's trying to pivot to other things don't go anywhere more buzzbeater coming your way in just a moment all right uh let's get to covid story number three you know there's this big hearing up in the senate and what dominated all the headlines and i happened to be watching live and it was uh harshly personal it was cringeworthy almost was yet another um series of personal insults between anthony fauci and rand paul so Rand Paul's sitting up there on the dais, and the senator from Kentucky starts beating up on Fauci, uh, and he does this every time he has a chance, uh, questioning the science behind vaccines, the science behind masks, other public health measures, um, and uh, the, it's you know it's an understatement to say it's grown hostile. So yesterday, Fauci said, I need, you got to let me finish. I need to speak without interruption. After Rand Paul accused him of helping to orchestrate a smear campaign against three conservative academics who opposed shutdown measures in 2020. But the emails that Paul pointed to, according to this Washington Post account, show Fauci merely sending colleagues a link to an article in Wired magazine debunking claims about reaching herd immunity. So here's Fauci, testifying in front of the mic, televised hearing, saying your attacks, Senator, are a distortion of reality and blaming such falsehoods for spurring death threats against him and his family. And he got specific. Fauci cited the arrest of a California man in Iowa last month who police says was traveling to D.C. with an AR-15 rifle and multiple magazines of ammunition. The man allegedly had a hit list, including Fauci, and several other uh, mostly Democratic politicians. What happens when he, Paul, gets out and accuses me of things that are completely untrue, said Fauci, is that all of a sudden that kindles the crazies out there. And I have threats upon my life, harassment of my family, my children, obscene phone calls because people are lying about me. I thought that was a very strong moan for Fauci. You know, the counter-argument is everybody in public life gets death threats, although, you know, by pointing to the arrest of this actual guy with the AR-15, you know, Fauci can make the case that this isn't just some idle people spouting off on Twitter. And then Fauci says this, um, that there's another person, uh, on December 21st, person was arrested on their way from Sacramento to Washington, D.C., at a stop in Iowa and they asked, the police asked where he was going and he was going to Washington, D.C. to kill Dr. Fauci. And then, this is just a fact, on Rand Paul's website, uh, the senator is raising money with an anti-Fauci message, as Dr. Fauci said. Uh, On the senator's website it says, you know, in large type, fire Dr. Fauci and there's a little box that says contribute here. You can do $5, $10, $20, $100. So you're making a catastrophic epidemic for your political gain. And, of course, Paul came back and said that's not true, and it's disappointing for you to suggest that. And they went back and forth and back and forth. Um, Overshadowing, I think, the substance of dealing with this crisis. You know, the average number of daily new cases in the U.S. yesterday, 761,000. It reached almost a million and a half, I believe, on Monday. And now you all know how, by this point, that deaths are a lagging indicator when cases go up, even though Omicron is a milder variant. So now the average number of new deaths yesterday was 1,736 in America. It had been about 1,000 and about 1,300. So that is a 40% increase in what it had been uh, in the previous two-week period. So those who say, you know what, Uh, it's mild, you know, you get it, it's no big deal, it's like a bad cold, well, more people are dying. Now, most of those people, yes, are unvaccinated. Some of them may have pre-existing conditions, but nevertheless, I don't like to pick up the paper and see that 1,736 Americans have died per day on average. Also at the hearing, Fauci said, and I don't know, this may be factually true, we'll find out. I don't know it was a brilliant strategy at the time when trying to get more people to get these shots. Well, the Omicron variant will infect just about everybody, regardless of vaccination status, says Fauci. And naturally, a lot of people are going to hear that and say, why should I bother? Well, Fauci had an answer to that, and he said... Those who have been vaccinated will very likely, with some exceptions, do reasonably well if you do get Omicron. They will avoid hospitalization. They will not die. He actually said this, uh, not at the hearing, but I guess another appearance that day uh, with the Center for Strategic and International Studies. And he said at the hearing in the Senate that the unvaccinated are 20 times likelier to die if they get COVID-19, 17 times likelier to get hospitalized, and 10 times likelier to be infected in the first place than those who are vaccinated. To me, that closes the case. You may have a different view. Oh, by the way, the Biden administration is saying um, today it's going to distribute millions of free coronavirus test kits to schools across the U.S. to keep schools open. Headline the New York Times. Hey, that's great. But you read down about three paragraphs. It says CDC will work to deliver the first shipments as early as this month, meaning it may not be this month, meaning by the time it gets to the schools, Omicron may have peaked and it may be too late. By the way, Boris Johnson in the House of Commons yesterday, apologizing and apologizing at length for a party at the official residence, 10 Downing. It was billed as a bring-your-own-booze-garden party during the height of the coronavirus lockdown. Uh, when he was telling, when the government was telling everybody else uh, to stay at home, don't socialize, don't go to parties, and Johnson said, well, you know, technically it wasn't a party. It was only 25 minutes. We wanted to thank the staff, but I shouldn't have done it. Uh, and there are calls now for him to resign. So everybody's getting caught here. Um, here's the invitation. Hi, after what's been an incredibly busy period, it would be nice to make the most of this lovely weather and have some socially distanced drinks, in the number 10 garden this evening, please bring your own booze. All right. Number four, the aforementioned excuse me, Novak Djokovic. He apologized yesterday a full week after hemming and hawing about why he went to Australia, trying to play in the Australian Open. Why? Because it's true that on the Australian travel document that he had to fill out just to get into the country where he hoped to play in that Grand Slam tournament, uh, what's the technical way to put this? He lied. Uh, yes, he was released from detention in the hotel after that long standoff. Yes, he's still hoping to play in the Australian Open. Uh, but he lied on the travel form. And here's what Djokovic wrote. Remember, he still hasn't talked to the press. This is all just official statements. This was a human error and certainly not deliberate. We are living in challenging times. And in a global pandemic, sometimes these mistakes have, can occur. Well, he's, why is he telling us this now? I mean, I think Djokovic has really lost a whole lot of credibility here. So, you know, you have a situation where he allowed to get out of control, where the foreign ministry of Serbia is in a rhetorical war with the foreign ministry of Australia. Um, and so he wants to clear up the inf- misinformation. Now, what took you so long, dude? And so he got a, a positive coronavirus test in Serbia last month. Uh, he felt obligated to go ahead with the December 18th newspaper interview and photo shoot, despite learning that he had tested positive for the virus. He says, on reflection, this was an error of judgment, and I accept that I should have rescheduled this commitment. You think? Duh. So, already, he's putting other people at risk. Now, there's this whole back and forth about what happened earlier. Uh, Well, he says he had a mask on during the interview, but he took it off for the photo shoot. Uh, Now, why is he apologizing? Ah, here we go, because Der Spiegel, the German paper published an investigation that said that the test result might have been manipulated. I don't know if that's true or not, but this is like you really do need some kind of like congressional investigation here. So he went to a basketball game in Belgrade on December 14th where a number of people got the virus. So he didn't have any symptoms, but Djokovic says he took one of those rapid tests and a PCR test out of an abundance of caution. The rapid test was negative, Took a test the next day, negative again. And that's when he attended an event with children. Well, that has happened to a lot of people. So you could see where he says, look, I got two tests. I didn't know. I thought I was okay. But after that, he got the positive PCR test. That's the more reliable test that showed that he was positive. The next day, he goes ahead with the interview. He does the photo shoot. I didn't want to let the journalist down, he said. Oh, so suddenly he cares about journalists? Jeez. And meanwhile, after making this mistake, and and look, all the Australian government has to do now is say, you lied in these travel documents, we are deporting you, you are out and you can't play. That's sad for tennis. I mean, this whole thing has been just an absolute debacle. You know, if you're Australia, you know, it's fine country, U.S. ally, you don't make that much international news. The Australian Open is the time when they get a lot of coverage. So meanwhile, Djokovic's parents are popping off, his father called Prime Minister Scott Morrison a dictator this week and asked that Queen Elizabeth II, who was nominally the sovereign over those, you know, former parts of the British Empire, asked her to intervene. And his mom scoffed at the Australian Open having a vaccination requirement at all. And meanwhile, you may have seen the footage, it's hysterical, a couple of Australian news anchors are doing the story, story's over. They still got their mics on, but they don't realize the mics are hot. And one of them says, why? That Djokovic, he is a lying, sneaky a-hole. And they're yucking it up. And now the whole world can see that. So much for fair and balanced. Don't go anywhere. More Buzzbeater coming your way in just a moment. Okay, story number five. You may have heard that there has been the first transplant of a genetically modified pig heart into a human being. And as the Wall Street Journal reports, this whole episode points up the chronic shortage of organ donors. Like, I can remember when it was huge news back in the early 1980s, when um, there was a artificial heart transplant into a guy named Barney Clark, who lived for another 112 days, I believe it was. And this was just considered amazing. But artificial hearts, I guess, you know, because they didn't provide a longer life for people, Uh, didn't prove to be the answer, and there's been a long history of, you know, baboons and others providing hearts. But the difference here is um, that the pig was genetically modified to make it less likely that the animal heart would be rejected uh, by the critically ill patient, whose name is David Bennett. He's a 57-year-old handyman, father of two. He had requested a special emergency authorization for this experimental surgery. He was dying. He wasn't eligible to get a human heart transplant because he didn't do all the things you have to do, uh, a lot of follow-up visits and so forth. And So, you know, not having enough human hearts, the agency that is in charge of this has to decide, well, who who do we give priority to? And they give priority to the people who are most likely to survive by showing that they're really serious about following all the protocols. So, uh, director of the NYU... Transplant Center, Dr. Robert Montgomery, says, we have crossed the Rubicon with this surgery. He wasn't involved in the surgery itself. We're trying to make sense of it and where to go next. Um, David Bennett himself said it was a hard blow uh, getting turned down for a human heart. I'm sorry, his son says this. But at the same time, I realize the powers that be have to have some objective criteria in determining who will be most successful with the hearts. now, one professor, the professor of transplant surgery, a guy named Bartley Griffith, who actually performed this operation, he's quoted by the journalists saying that we have to follow these strict guidelines because there's a the shortage of human hearts and other organs. So we, the, the, the center takes into account such social issues as family support, the ability, ability and willingness of patients to follow the lifelong medication regimen needed to ensure that the organ stays healthy. And this guy, Bartley Griffith says, the doctor says, we couldn't offer him the treasure that is a human heart, but the availability of the pig heart opened up a potentially life-saving opportunity. So a couple numbers here. Last year, surgeons performed more than 41,000 organ transplants in the U.S. But at the same time, there were more than 100,000 patients on the waiting list for a donor organ, not just hearts, at any given time. And more than 6,000 patients die every year. Before they can get such an organ transplant, so I don't know what the prognosis is for a genetically modified pig heart, but wouldn't it be wonderful if this could be done in a way that actually worked and could save thousands of lives? Because we're probably never going to get to a situation where there'll be enough human organs available for donation. Uh, it's you know a miracle of modern science that we can do this at all, but obviously there's a lot of demand out there, and you know um a lot of people who may not meet the criteria um are desperate for these transplants and want to live and their families want them to live and i just i hope this turns out to be a promising avenue for scientific research well a lot of science on the podcast today but uh, that kind of reflects where we are in the age of covid and lots of other things A thank you all for listening uh, I try to share as much as I can with you. I've actually got a couple other things that I'll have to say for tomorrow because uh, I don't want to go on and on and on and i got to get to work and you probably have a life. So I appreciate it you, you would subscribe to our little effort here and we'll see you tomorrow with more Busby.